Welcome to Challenging Behaviours, the podcast that aims to challenge your behaviours, my behaviours, our behaviours, towards disability in society. Today! Uh, it's just me today. Tom's Tom's away on holiday. He's having a little holiday. I mean, sort of. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, to quote one of my favourite characters of all time, Mr. Peanut Butter from uh, Bojack Horseman, what is this? A crossover episode? Because today we are talking to Pete Marshall from the Crip Chat podcast. And we're talking about COVID and care homes. Also, some more waffle about um, uh, technology, accessible housing. And a bit a weird bit about pandas because when I asked him how his panda was, he was he misheard me as saying panda, and he just happened to have a stuffed panda toy nearby. Um, so as always, top quality on the nose stuff from the Challenging Behaviors podcast. Uh, he will tell you more about his podcast towards the end of the episode, and I'll also tell you a bit about his podcast at the end of the episode too. Uh, so I shall see you there. It's also worth mentioning uh, where there are a few uh, little little bits of sound, uh, dodgy sound because of Zoom. Uh, I've tried my best to kind of fix it. It's not... There are times where you might be like, I have no idea what he just said. Um, so apologies for that if it's a if it's too... Too, too much of a distraction slash inaudible. But it's not as bad as Tom's dad and the uh, dishwasher. So, you know, we've got we've to gotta take what we can get. I don't think any podcast has ever been released with as bad sound quality as the dishwasher incident with Richard Huggings. Uh, so enjoy or don't do what you want. Sorry, I was thinking about the panda up there. Oh, he, now, I mean, he now has he now has his own like mascot. <laughs> I mean, if you want to make it panda related, <laughs> well, be a real turn for us. Uh, if we suddenly go into panda, um, that would be that would be very niche. Right. Yes, I, I would challenge you guys. You said there was no such thing as too niche. Well, now you know we're talking about how the coronavirus has affected pandas in care homes. <laughs> you didn't know pandas were in care homes. Well, that's the answer. <laughs> so it's not really affecting them. End of episode. <laughs> cool. I will. That's it. I'm doing twenty. I'm doing like ten minutes of research to work out the one panda that's had like coronavirus <laughs> in a care home, and we're going to spend the entire episode talking about that one panda. Oh, amazing! Um, in terms of the podcast, would you like to introduce? Let's just say we've started. Uh, okay. Would you like to, yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Pete Marshall from Cryptchat, Manchester. Um, yeah, I'm awesome. <laughs> yeah, the, the introduction Humi- is always there. Awkward. Humility's uh, humility's um, <laughs> humility's overrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, today we, we want to talk a bit about um, care homes and the pando, uh, as I've just referred to it to much confusion. 
Um, the the panda, yes. And we're talking about the yes. panda pandemic. This the is pan an this is an entire thing that <laughs> not many people know about it, but it's really serious. It's one of those real um, like conspiracy theory things. <laughs> There's a bunch of pandas in care homes, right? <laughs> Yeah, this is this is yeah. QAnon told me about this, so obviously it makes total sense. Um, well, I, it's difficult there's, to think there's, like there's a pandemic of people in care homes turning into pandas. Oh, I mean, They're, exactly. This is this makes total sense. I, I... Um, where it comes to like uh, COVID and care homes, where's like a good place to even begin? Really, like, I mean, honestly, like we've. <laughs> On our on Crypt Chat, we had quite a few episodes, and I suppose the the first place that we would that, that we would start is um, care homes are basically one massive biosecurity hazard. Honestly, in as soon as you get any kind of pandemic, it is just the the combination of the fact that you have a relatively small quantity of staff having to deal with a relatively large quantity of people. That means that as soon as, you know, all you need is one person to get coronavirus and then pass it on to one member of staff. And then immediately, if they have to deal with five people, all of them have coronavirus because they've had to be in close contact. Then you need, then, and then it starts, um, and then the staff, is, and, then the, and as soon as you get more than one member, then as soon as you get, like, the next shift comes in, then, then you have five people with it now. Any, any of the staff who are in contact with them, they will get it. It, so basically, the problem, the, the, um, and that's without t talking about things like, there was an entire discussion um, about, this was in, in the medical community that was about kind of, it isn't just about, like, it, it, it isn't like, um, it isn't like being wet. So basically, if you like one, have one raindrop or a thousand raindrops, you're still wet. Yeah. In the in the in the pandemic is not like that because if you have because the more contact you have and the more intimate the contact, then the more likely you are to kind of get the symptom and the more likely you know you are to pass it on. So that means that it's not just a question of um, so that means that even that let's say that you're that let's say that you have the same people living in their individual home. Actually that actually the um, kind of the density of contact is a lot less. And so even if you have the, so even if you have the same in their homes in, in roughly similar circumstances, they are a lot safer. Um, it's also worth pointing out that, um, so yeah, so basically with care homes, the, the, big, the, the big problem is that as soon as you have, is that you, the only defense is to stop anyone, is to, to stop it at the front door essentially. Yeah. And that is almost impossible, honestly. Like again, you can try, and actually there was some. Actually, like there was some really good like ideas that they had the entire staff just living on the premises. Yeah. But obviously, if you even begin with the bureaucracy of that, I mean, you could do it. <clears throat> but honestly, you'd have to bring in the entire army and build in, and build like you know, um, if you were, had a especially big one that was like an old Victorian um, manor, then you could probably do this. But honestly, like, where do you like? Like where do they sleep? Yeah. Like you know, if they can't go outside, like you know, you will have quite a lot of like staff who are just hanging around. Where do they go? Like, do they just hang around with the clients anyway? You know, and this is and so there um, and obviously you also get the problem of food. 
you know, they have to be fed as well. Wait, you know, so basically whatever. So basically, if you normally have the food for a, for a week, then immediately you put that food for the last two days. You have to go, you know. And so the bureaucracy becomes, so for that, it's a good idea if you can swing it. But honestly, almost nowhere can. So basically, so basically the entire argument of how do we do, how do we, um, of stopping it at the front door is functionally incredibly different. And that's without talking about the fact that actually it's, that actually care homes aren't just affecting care homes. They're also the staff go home mostly. Yeah. And so as soon as you affected people coming out into the community, then anyone they get in contact with gets it as well. I mean, and this is to be honest with you, both in the US and in the um, and so both in the US and in the UK, one of the largest single groups that have got that have died from coronavirus is people living in care. And this is specifically different from disabled people, because yeah. disabled people who haven't been living in care have been much less vulnerable. Yeah. And there's also, um, you know, when those kind of stats and things come out, people hear the word care home and their immediate thought is old people. And yes. no, one else, no one else could possibly live in a care home. So, <clears throat> and, and I mean, this is another interesting thing that, for example, there was one case I heard in Manchester where there was one young guy living with two older. And essentially he was basically locked in the care home. He couldn't go out at all because the entire place was locked down. And, but basically, he wasn't actually that vulnerable. But because he lived with two people who were, that's it. He couldn't go outside. And so this is, and so, okay, there's, so um, this is an entire issue around, um, generally, we don't have enough kind of, enough demarcated, like, beds and not enough trained staff and not, and, and you know, basically, councils just come up with, we have X amount of beds and just dump, just, just lob as many people as possible into the system. So that means that you just get people who are very um, incompatible with each other. And so, and, uh, and so have, and so especially around pandemics, you end up with some people having to be under more severe lockdowns than they really need. And that obviously has knock on mental health issues. Oh, one, one interesting thing that came up last week, um, a whole bunch of the deaths in care homes got covered over because of commercial sensitivity. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, and I will also say one of the more interesting things that has, that has come up over, um, again, and this um, that has come up over, has been the, there, there has been a kind of a conflict between staff and management. Because basically both sides acknowledge that this problem is bad. But the problem, but basically there was at least one BBC article I saw that was just saying that it was because of the irresponsible staff. And I would love to see the like, I know, like, who was the editor that was just like, this sounds fine. I, this is okay. Like, I, I, like, I don't know what line, what line of command there was on anything of, around that, but that was just like, um, okay. Um, and honestly, there has been, and there, so that obviously came from management and there was and there's entire there's other papers that have been talking generally the staff argue that this is mostly an issue of zero hour contracts actually there has been a whole bunch of statistics again on if you um okay um okay 101 of how of commissioning cares basically councils are the people who mostly pay for them 
And so they want to pay as little as possible. But once you get them to pay, the, agree that a place exists, they have to pay to keep it running and safe. So what they normally, so what management and what those, the, the groups who own these places normally do is they basically come up with the most bare bones like business plan they can possibly come up with that's still legal. But what that means is that actually if more than one member of staff is sick in any given day, then they end up getting zero hour people in. So zero hour people are, are at this point functionally part of the system, albeit you could effortlessly argue that they make the system more expensive and yada, yada, yada. They're, yeah, they're almost always lower trained than yeah. full-time members of staff, almost always have less of a relationship. But, you know, but one of the other things they are is because they routinely have to go between jobs and because they're routine, then, then what they found is that care homes that have more than one or that have care, uh, that had uh, zero-hour contract staffing had more cases of coronavirus. Yeah. Again, because if you're going between care homes, then there's more chance that if, if even one of them, the people you have to deal with has coronavirus. That, but so, yes, in, in some ways, I will acknowledge that this isn't necessarily a problem with care homes as a concept. This is a problem with our particular management of care homes. Yes, Although you could effortlessly go, well, yeah, but let, why are we even talking about, if we just Check don't have care situation. homes, we don't have zero, you know. So, but, so I, yeah. It's really interesting how, when it comes to care homes and zero hour contracts, how like this isn't even COVID related really, but as you were saying, they often are lesser trained and don't have those relationships. And that that just seems madness to me. Like I mean, yeah, I mean honestly these, it, but... this is this is one of the most the most obviously like I'm just gonna say it's stupid things about the commissioning system. Because honestly, if the if I mean A as a council B, the if the if care homes actually uh, pushed for this again, then what you then it isn't hard to go. Well, let's have every staff member have a couple of hours less a week. Let's just top up their their pay a bit, um, and let's have two extra members of staff, and that way the chances of them actually needing to have zero hour contracts is just a lot less. And so probably you and so the and so you would have more trained members of staff who knew the clients blah 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 and it would probably in long term actually be cheaper i mean there's a lot i mean honestly it's not just i mean zero hour contract people are generally paid incredibly poorly but honestly part of that is because actually they don't just pay for the person they have to pay the agency too so actually in that sense they're actually they're actually equally expensive not slightly more expensive than actually having a full-time member of staff but they're just paid out of a different budget so that budget is kind of anyway is it is not it is stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's wild as well how you were saying that you know there was that report that was targeting the workers not the management like that i can't even begin to fathom <laughs> what the kind of logic was there um <laughs> Right. I mean, in some ways, uh, again, the problem with this is it depends if you're... No, wait, that, that metaphor doesn't work. I'll abandon that. <laughs> I was about to say, it's like blaming the cow and not the farmer. That doesn't quite work. <laughs> um, in some ways, it kind of does work because they, 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 if you look at like 
uh, like industrialized farming. They always put loads of like penicillin into the uh, into the cow's food and all of that to make the cow better. Whereas they could, the farmer could just not have loads of cows in a very confined space. They could just like rearrange how they how they move the cows. No, let's not do that. Let's just like fix the cow, and then yeah. that if you get the yeah, that that's stupid too. But yes, I mean, in, in many ways, it's and you can just see I, the I, managers gonna... as well as being like. <laughs> yeah i mean oh, in many ways it's, it's like i think that the best the, the actually david graber one of my personal heroes um died a couple of days ago but basically like one of his favorite metaphors for corporations was basically they're like a war back and essentially because like yeah um and because essentially his essentially like what he was going for is that generally the theory that's normally given is around this notion of efficiency and blah, blah, blah. But actually, if you look at how corporations downsize in recessions, then they don't actually downsize by area, which you would expect that, you know, let's say that you're a company and you made 10% less profit. Well, how about you downsize marketing or something like that? You would downsize like by activity based on what you could have, based on what you could afford. That would make, that would make logical sense but it's not what companies actually do what companies actually do is downsize based on the last person who they employed basically lowest ranking up and honestly in many ways like if you downsize one manager then you would get a lot more money from that one firing than you would from 10 of your lowest ranking cleaners and that kind of thing but honestly so so that so this is where the warband thing comes in so if you start because that makes no sense from an efficiency point of view. It makes perfect sense from it if you're a warband or like a gladiatorial troop and you're thinking of this in terms of like who is the, who is your most valuable players, and then you kind of, and and then you kind of have this like a, a series of concentric circles going round round round, um, and and going from outside in it kind of makes kind of does make sense, but honestly from a business perspective it just doesn't. And from a looking after people perspective, again, it doesn't make sense. And from a perspective of like, and for me, the most viscerally irritating point about it is functionally speaking, it doesn't help. Like, if you want to argue that you're going into care because you care about people, great. But this is not that. You know, if you want to make the system better, great. Like, that's, I, I like, but this is not that. And so, it, and so, yeah, I, yeah in, in many ways it just like it it just kind of confirms my attitude that i genuinely don't think managers are like they can argue many things i don't think that they have a long-term thinking in terms of how in terms of what where do they want to go in terms of care homes and how are they gonna how are they gonna ensure that their clients like <laughs> that's a very cynical way of looking at it but i don't see the alternative I know it's. I I completely completely agree. It's a phrase we've used a few times on the show, and that's the business of caring, um, and how they are pretty much oxymoronic in a way. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, one of the things I will say about this, and I think um, is, and this goes very much from the autistic perspective, is then that is. I'll start with this as a statement. Generally, I think that we use care as a way of is basically a form of business socialism as a way of giving money to charity groups that we like. And so the, so my favorite example of this is the National Autistic Society. 
Like in the end, they get a great deal of their money and some of their most kind of their most long term contract from having care homes. So in that sense, like, so I think that that's a bad idea. Honestly, I think that if we want to have, have if we want to care for people, great, let's do that. If we want to, if we think National Autistic Society is worth supporting, great, do that. In the end, putting them both together ends up with a bad, ends up with a bad um, result. That the National Autistic Society has had, I think, a couple, at least two, like really bad. Yeah, they've got a great track record. Same right goes for Medcap as well. There's a the other I mean, I'll ones. be honest with you, all of these groups have these kinds of situations. And in the end, like Mencap and all of these groups like are equally good. I'm autistic, so I'm using national. But it's honestly yeah, it's not uncommon. But it's a weird but basically because um I mean the, the obvious long term solution would be to actually like make the system better and for example make sure the CQC actually did their job. Um but obviously, if you're going back to where I started, actually, if you think about this more, again, from a perspective of like charity socially and just go, well, the way that charities know that they can make money this year, next year, the year after, the year after that, the year after that is through having, is through having X amount of care homes. And so from that perspective, then any, like if they change the system to make it so more people had uh, lived at home, they would, be, they would not be getting the same socialism. And therefore, it's not really in their interest to actually change the entire system. Um, I mean, there's actually a group called the um, Disability Union who is fighting for more homes with, uh, fighting for more homes, homes, so actually houses um, for people with disabilities. Supported living, yeah. No, no, not supported living. Basically, just disab disability accessible housing. Yeah, so okay. ramps and that kind of thing. Because yeah, actually, cool. one of the things that's not talked about is um, the most common reason for people to go into care homes is because their house isn't accessible yeah i mean that's not a very good reason <laughs> like like no, no. if you like if what you need is a ramp in the, on your front door if what we need is a society is more bungalows again like it, it, these, yeah. these things are not undoable we have the technology we could choose to do that. Like, i mean the ramp is pretty much the simplest of technologies there could possibly be. Yeah, I mean, it's arguable, like the like the wheel and then the ramp, basically. Yeah. Um, actually, one of my friends was talking about doing gorilla ramping, oh, which <laughs> I, I kind of, that's a brilliant idea. Exactly, it's the first time I've heard of it, and I was just like, "That sounds fucking cool. I like it." <laughs> um, there's always this. Oh, I've, there's been a couple of examples of it recently where. It's usually like some kind of university tech like department have come up with this innovative like new wheelchair that can <laughs> develop it's basically a transformer and it can yeah. then walk up some out, stairs and like and probably cost like thousands of pounds to make when you could probably bear it for a, a thousandth of the cost <laughs> I I just I, I just read about this uh, this article again. I'm probably really slow on the uptake on this one, but I just read. Um, and basically, this was this was a um, um, technologist, academic guy. And basically, he started out with this. He was invited to this like Illuminati meeting or 
five billionaires who are just like, hey, do you want to? And he basically thought he'd be speaking to like, he was getting paid paid out of the arse for this. And basically, he thought he'd be paid, talked to like 500 people. There's like five in the room. And they were all like, you know, insanely rich. And, and basically, they spent the entire time going, so how would, like, talking about how they would like, make their like after the apocalypse how would they make sure that their like guards like like stayed in order and they spent their entire time being like so what places in the world would not flood in the case of like catastrophic global like global warming and they spent their entire time and like it, and basically he was just and um and so you know he said some stuff about and he was um, and he basically and, and he was just like so basically these people think of like think of like money as like the, the, like a computer game so basically like they they have reached like the top level and once you reach the top level then basically you just get then basically you reach end game which is essentially having your own bunker and 20 people with like explosive collars who if you who if they irritate you then you like make their heads explode or something <laughs> and like you know that's that's you know is that end game for technology and honestly his entire discussion on this was well actually uh, that was um well that really shouldn't be like generally we only win if humanity wins and so if we and so yes we have the technology to like end global warming like we could do it you know and we have the technology to build ramps like what's the point in having like 50 different with various different wheelchairs when genuinely, apparently, the government can't be bothered to build ramps, it would be much cheaper. You could pay a lot more people to like do the work, and it would be like just. We've lost, uh, <laughs> well, there's that, but um, something we've talked about over the last couple of episodes, because uh, we had a travel blogger on and a Paralympian, and that was um, so during the 2012 London Paralympics. So much um, stuff was put in place to make London so much more accessible. Once those Paralympics were over, they just got rid of it. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's madness. Like, so you mean so, they, they just paid to get... Yeah, it's madness. But places like, so this is what um, Carrie Ann was saying, she's a travel blogger, like Barcelona, when they had the Paralympics, whenever that was, mm. um, they, they had a great just legacy from that. And that's why it's considered one of the most accessible cities to travel to at least in Europe um, because they kept that whereas I think it shows a lot about a government that are <laughs> willing to put in accessible um, things like ramps and things I don't know I mean, the full ins and outs of it so this is just kind of something we've been told so there may be some kind of discrepancies and stuff but I, I, I mean I would say first off that generally the, the Olympics doesn't have a terribly good track record in terms of like um, in terms of um, legacies so it's probably a fairly low bar <laughs> but um um it's the fact there was yeah, a point just, where just, it was actively just talk, being taken away like <laughs> just talk about brazils and their and, oh, yeah. and they have and they at this point have the largest bird toilet in the entire world which is which was like the, which was like uh, an olympic scale um um football stadium yeah in like a city that doesn't have a big enough football team to actually, even a vaguely big enough football team to even vaguely use it. So basically it's just sitting there in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, like. But anyway, um, in a more interesting light, um, what was I gonna say? 
Well, we were talking about care homes, and now we've veered onto giant bird toilets. So, <laughs> standard episode of challenging behaviours. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, we talk about accessible housing. Well, I was going to talk about uh, in Manchester. Actually, one of my friends. Um, uh, she was one of the people who helped. Basically, the model for the Olympics. Yeah. the London Olympics, was the Commonwealth Games, which was in Manchester. And basically, for example, like one of the, the Paralympics, one of the, he was like head of one of the um, council department, the council department of like disability, accessibility, something, something, something at that point. And so he, and so for example, she actually worked on a great deal of the beds, of the kind of, she did the first like maps. She mapped out Manchester from a disability perspective. Mm. So she not only went, this is Manchester, she went, this is Manchester, and here is where the accessible toilets are, and here is where ramps are, and here is, you know, actual places where, yeah, actually disabled people might want to slash could go. And so, I, and so in, I think, yeah, and so I think in some ways they basically, they basically kind of helicoptered in the model, and yeah. then didn't genuinely think of it as like part of like London. They just kind of went, yeah, this works for that game, so let's just like... It works for the, you know, we need disabled, disabled people need access to the Olympics, but they don't need access to London. That's, that's, that's the basic <laughs> that's point. It, that's, <laughs> that's it, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so we were, yeah, we were talking about why, so a lot of people end up living in care homes be, because of the lack of accessible housing. And, you know, that is something well, it's one of those things as well where I could sit here and say, oh, yeah, that's really easy. Though I don't know any of the ins and outs of, um, you know. I mean, it's, I mean, it, on the one hand, there have been, there is a whole bunch of, I, I mean, I, I suspect there's kind of two elements of this. On the one hand, it's really not sexy. <laughs> so, like, if you're, so, like, as I was talking about earlier on, if you're the National Autistic Society, would it be, could you do a campaign on that? You could. Would you get vast amounts of cash from it? Probably, almost certainly not. Like the only group that has serious like interest in it is probably the small time builders, which is you know, and they haven't really got their own lobby group with like million pound lobbyists. So, you know, maybe we could make one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but no. So basically, but so in terms of the in terms of the campaigning, that's an issue. But in terms of the bureaucracy, I mean we've had programs to do this in the past it does require like giving councils money and councils choosing to spend that money on this as a topic yeah. but honestly like there's um but honestly most of that is like insulation work. most of that's like ramps like there's a bit of awkward stuff around like hallway width and things yeah. like that like you like you probably would have to come up with new categorization systems in terms of going, well, this house has got a narrow hot corridor and so it's never going to be that accessible. What can we do? And, you know, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of like, it, it would be awkward, but honestly, it wouldn't be the most ambitious thing we've done by any standards. <laughs> so, and honestly, it would require almost no new, require probably no new technology. Like, so I, yeah, from a campaigning point of view, it's harder than it, because I think the only major campaigning group is kind of old age pensioner groups. Yeah, I do because I know that some of them in Manchester are actually doing some major work on this, or at least trying to. Um, 
I wish them every success. Uh, the, the Disability Union is doing some, is also trying to do some work on this. We had uh, a guy called Gavin Neat on, and he's um, he develops like apps and stuff. And he was saying like, imagine how great it would be if like if we changed like what valuable commodities were. So at the moment, if you think of valuable commodities, it tends to be things that are evil, like oil or <laughs> um, <laughs> diamonds, you know, that kind of thing. Imagine this is like his dream. I don't think it's something we'll ever see, but just it's nice to imagine every day. <laughs> uh, dreams, like, dreams are good. If like things like making accessible housing were, were the big money makers, like if we if 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 we could kind of flip what makes a profit because if think about it, there's there is potentially a lot of money to be made there um from house sales and things so many people who could potentially be renting or buying when they are now living in a care home when they could actually be you know there there there's there are so many reasons for you know for that change to happen, but will it ever actually I think take place? The, <laughs> um, in many of these situations, the problem you end up with is one of, um, <laughs> to be boring, money. Yeah. But to me, but I think there's a there's a there's a more interesting problem, which is around how we ascribe kind of value. And I think that when you start, because I think that most of the things that we generally think of as valuable are valuable either because we think of them as stable or because gold, diamonds, paintings, blah, 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 or, or because um, oil, um, or because rich people like them. Yeah. And so honestly, in part, and so if, and so as soon as you're asking for government for money, then they have to, then they have to believe that, you know, it's their job to give it. And I would argue that if you're dealing with accessible housing, it is because actually the country is a lot more, people are, are a lot better, a lot safer. For example, if coronavirus had happened and we'd had massive programs in terms of the, in terms of keeping people at home, actually we would probably have half the death rate. Yeah. Less possibly, you know, it would, you know, and honestly, there's a, there's not a, you know, and if you um, and so if and so there's a and so I think one of the things you have with these uh, is with is governments very used to responding quickly to very specific events. What is not used to thinking about is the is the kind of um, green yellow section. Yeah. So basically, we have green, yellow, red. It's very used to going from yellow to red. It's not very used to thinking about going from green to yellow and then going, how do we stop it from getting any further? And I think, and I, and, uh, and especially around disabilities, this is keeping people at home. This is ensuring that people have uh, proper care and ensuring that, uh, and ensuring that education is adequate and ensuring that, uh, and ensuring that jobs exist. And, you know, all of that kind of thing, which is a lot less sexy and in many ways is a lot less social is a lot less like uh charity socialism -y. but actually but actually like if disabled people routinely like if routinely had jobs if they routinely had good houses then honestly 
that would, they would probably be able to pay for a lot more of their own care. Yeah. They would be able to pay taxes. They would be able to be boring members of society and a lot more. And that would, and that would end up meaning that, and that would end up meaning that it, that it would take a lot more to get things into crisis. And honestly, in things like, it, things like coronavirus would probably barely be a blip. So coming back to kind of disability and care during um, the coronavirus, a lot of people are kind of under the impression that some, some people may have died in, whilst in their care home as a result of more of the indifference and using kind of corona as a, oh yeah, they had underlying conditions anyway, as in a, to kind of, you know, hide the fact that maybe they didn't do the best they could have done. Do you think there's any element of truth in that? I mean, I think first off, um, I think there is a discussion here of cares, care is in crisis because of coronavirus, because basically so many people died that they get paid by clients per client. Mm. If that many people die, who's paying the staff? Like in the end, the in there is a serious question here of what happens to the industry, yeah. honestly. So I think it, so. I think when you think that's which generally, so yeah, I an insane quantity of people died. Um, in terms of personal responsibility, in terms of the, I think the larger question was about personal responsibility of the individuals versus the system. That's how I read that. And yeah, I think this, I think this relates back partly. Um, one of the, mo the more problematic elements of disability is it's always, in some ways it's like America, it's like gun crime in America. It's, all, it's, always, a, it's always a tragedy and never a pattern. Like, you know, and honestly, no, and honestly, no matter how, you know, um, yeah, I'm gonna say it. Um, <laughs> no matter like how that. many, no matter how many bodies pile up, it's never a massacre. Mm, yeah, you know, and so this is, and so honestly, in some ways, it's you, you know, <laughs> bluntly put, assholes always like always like going through this and going. Um, and go oh it's this person's individual responsibility if they hadn't done that this person hadn't done that this person hadn't done that you know these um and honestly it's in honestly i will point out that it is interesting in the sense that um that financial crises they are you know society came together and put a great deal of money even if you look at the coronavirus thing you know the the entire furlough scheme could they say that those people had should have put more money in their in their savings? Stop yes. buying all those coffees. <laughs> exactly. Why why would they have all these lattes and, and all their like uh, and all the uh, and all their crushed yeah. kiwi? I, uh, I don't know. Cold brew. Exactly. <laughs> Until a few weeks ago, then it was like, hey everyone. Go and buy those coffees. <laughs> exactly. It's we need time. more people. We need people like you going to going to have dinner outside. Um, so yeah. Um, so honestly, it's as far as I'm concerned, there's a there's a there's a serious thing here. Like it's very common in disability that everyone goes, well, it's an individual problem, it's an individual problem. But then there becomes a discussion here that hey, like the reason we have government is because individual problems pile up into social problems. 
that isn't very, you know, it's it's a really obvious point, but then it but then with disability it becomes like people, you know, an invasion on an you could argue that every that if there was an invasion, individuals would only get affected. Well, individuals would be affected, but we as a society get together and like have an army in order to not have invasions and therefore no individual gets affected. Um and and I would really argue that that, that, that entire thing is is a great deal of a problem here. Um, and if it's not good and and disability issues and disability issues, um, a great deal of disabled people could give a great deal to society. And if we choose not to accept uh, not choose not to accept that, that's uh, that says something about us, mm. and that means that society is going to gain a lot less. Yeah. And at that point, you and at that point, you are basically into it. Uh, you are basically into a like um, an ism situation, a dis disableism situation. So at that point, society has chosen that these people aren't going to give to society, and therefore, and therefore, society isn't going to um, isn't going to pay, isn't going to deal with that their problems. It's interesting as well. You say like if you you know you're saying like if society has chooses that can't help but feel like it has chosen that in a way again i think that there that there's um that there is a discussion here that i think if you look at kind of mainstream philosophy for example um it very much when it talks about human beings i mean it's it's interesting when they talk about kant is kind of considered to be kind of the the, the ultimate mainstream like universalist philosopher basically he talks about well, every counterexample people do, they tend to choose disabled people. Yeah, I mean, even the most obvious one, like they, um, like there's this, like there's this um, very common, like, uh, like, uh, yeah, universalist like thought problem, which basically, which, which, uh, which basically, um, which is kind of the softest example, but um, which basically runs that. It, let's say that there was, let's say there was a, uh, a steam train. That was going that was, that was hurtling along. I know. And then it could, it could either hit two people or one fat person. You have to yeah. take it, make it up. Like, how would you do it? You know, fat person. You know, basically, they're they're asking you to. You know, on the one hand, they're saying this is universalism, and on the other hand, apparently, not all people are equal. Yeah. Like that is basically boiled into the entire question of is all of of you know all people are equal, right? Well, so the so the only way so basically, and honestly, quite a lot of these things. One of the ones that constantly comes up is uh, the one of uh, actually DNRs and oh yeah the um, and, and the larger question around is can suicide be justified? One of the interesting questions there is why does everyone talk about this as though it's a disability topic? Yeah. I mean, disabled people are fully aware that it will affect them a great deal. But, like, at some level, like, I mean, the first, I mean, I think the first people who I remember who, who chose to commit suicide were two people with, one of them had cancer and the other one was just like, I can't live without my husband. <clears throat> well, like, one of them was probably disabled because of their cancer. But honestly, like, both, you know, that's, like yeah, it's in some ways they in some ways they always in, in in all of these in all of these like like voluntary suicide things they always like 
find a disabled person to like yeah. shove at the front of it. But actually, no. like most of the people in favor of it aren't disabled. <laughs> and it's just weird why they go, well, disabled people, like in, in some way, like they must want to die more than yeah, anyone else because exactly. their lives are worse. And it's just like, but like, have you asked us? Have you talked to us about this question? Like, you, you might want to at some point. We have some things to say. Like, it's the only way they, like, people may, like, they must think that these stories can be digested. It can only be, well, this person's life is so bad. We need a reason for it to not make you go, oh, that, that's odd kind of thing. So say it was, like, missing a husband. Of course, that's a horrible thing to go through. Oh, oh I don't, I don't yeah, disagree. But, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, uh, but you would have people who read that and go like, oh, well, that's a bit far. Whereas if, if you just, they just said, oh, they, they have a disability and they want to I'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, just like, which, so I think, and basically what I'm getting to with this is I think in some ways we are playing on a board that's, all, that's a, a chess game that's already half done. And so, for example, so if you go through what Kant said, then, you know, he wasn't, he isn't in any way modern. Kant's an entire topic unto himself, but I'm not going to go through that. Um, so it's, um, yeah, short answer, he was a eugenicist, and it's absolutely fascinating that he's considered to be like a universalist philosopher when he was a racist, like eugenicist. He definitely didn't think of his philosophy as equally applying to mm. everyone, but <laughs> definitely not going into that because that's an entire thing. Um, so yeah, I think that. So I think that in some ways, it's we're already we're playing on a board that's already half played. So in that sense, like there's like, I, like we have like we have to accept mm. the intrinsic limitations and not be too dickish to other people because I know I've repeatedly insulted various people today. But as individuals, lo loads of people are like working with ideas that they were told and just never questioned. And honestly, loads of people. Everyone's done that to some. But equally, I think we do have choices about how we respond to all of that. And we do have choices about, you know, for example, whether we choose to think of technology as a social thing or an individual thing. Like, if we choose to go, well, technology should have positive social benefits, well, then actually the wheelchairs we were talking about that basically, like, had rocket poop boosters and blah, 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 it could get you up steps, like, yeah that i guess that has a certain amount of value but what has more value is a ramp like because it will affect more people because yada 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 um and I, what i can't understand as well that obviously there were a bunch well in my head this is probably not how things actually work got a bunch of people sat stood around in a lab like drawing stuff and not one person not one person like drew a little line and went hang on hang on a second i think maybe we don't need to make optimus prime the wheelchair <laughs> we could make a little triangle made of some kind of solid material prop it up against the door that's on a step oh that'd be good would it i reckon that they should make it out of like some like space age ceramic though <laughs> yeah. they just be like the only thing this can possibly be made out of is like the same thing that like uh, that like covered the bottom of like uh, uh, like the Saturn V rocket or something. It must be as awesome as physically possible. But this thing they're like they they're all scientifically technologically minded people. I just don't. I just blows my mind. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I suspect the the blunt answer to your question is because they see technology as something that affects individuals as a part of society. 
And if technology is fundamentally individually based, then honestly creating a wheelchair that allows you to get up stairs makes perfect sense. Like, because that one person will indeed benefit from it. And, but in the end, the question would still be like, okay, but why do we live it? You know, if you're talking from more socially. And I guess, you know, in the sense that, you know, it doesn't seem like those kinds yeah. of changes yeah. are coming anytime soon in terms of accessibility. Maybe that is, you know, that's the way it has to go is because no one's willing to do the easy option. I mean, I also think that there's an interesting discussion with wheelchairs. That one of the, if you look at, um, that there's always this, um, that hmm. there's this kind of medical wheelchair that you're just expected to have and councils just give you. And again, there's uh, electrified and non-electrified versions of that. But one of the fascinating things to me is that there is that when they talk about like wheelchair accessible, like um, wheelchair accessible beaches, yeah. then basically the only difference that I can see is that they have bigger wheels. They have fatter wheels, which makes sense. Like that's like, that's yeah. yeah. But like, why? aren't the normal wheelchairs why couldn't they just have those like honestly again from a, from a social perspective if you made a wheelchair that basically just you could just yeah. place the wheels just that or just a you know an all-terrain tire like is that a thing i don't know about cars i mean to be fair if you look at like mm. um it's like i mean you do have like if you go to canada then you have like chains on their tires to go over ice and you have like if you go to to um yeah. Uh, and if you and people quite often like let down their tires when they're going when they're going on yeah. like sand and stuff like that. So I think to be fair, tires are a fairly like you will have to yeah. mess around with them, just like shoes in that sense. Like you don't wear the same pair of shoes your entire yeah. life. So I, you know, I'm not sure that that's the biggest problem in my mind. But it is weird that we're just like you know what? Let's you know we we have one we have this you know it's fascinating that. Um, if you look at, you know, um, if you look at, like, people constantly are like, how come, you know, for example, China, like, how did they invent gunpowder and then just never invent, like, rifles, for example? Like, they had, like, like, why did they have, like, why, why did Europe, like, come up with loads of, like, types of cannon and blah, 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 and yet they invented gunpowder? And in some ways, it's like, I think loads of people are like, but mm. how could, like, why wouldn't you go the next step? And in some ways, I think, well, we aren't going the next step. Like, we just, like, we've got a wheelchair. It exists. It works for yeah. certain things. Let's just not see the problems in it. And then we can just produce it forever. And it will just... And I... I it, it, yeah, it, it's... I don't know. I find it interesting. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, yeah. Uh, well, we need to kind of start wrapping up, I guess. I think, so. yeah, we've been, yeah. Just about over an hour. Uh, but before we go, I was wondering if you just want to quickly kind of give the lowdown on CryptChat and like best way people can okay. find it, listen to it, <laughs> what it is. Uh, CryptChat's our podcast. We, we love it. Um, I'm sure everyone else does. Um, but okay. Podcast Addict is seems to be one of the best, and um, and there's a few others. Weirdly, like iTunes, it's like doesn't only has one episode. To be fair, it is one of my favourites. But nevertheless, it's one episode. I would it is, also yeah, say, 
a nightmare with iTunes. <laughs> honestly, uh, honestly, like the other person, yeah. We think you're just taking that one down because it's just like we can't work out why it's only one and why yeah. it doesn't. I'm fairly certain that it would take anyway. Not going into that. Anyway, <laughs> basically, um, what's gonna this on Saturday is gonna be kind of special because we've been doing working really hard on a um, on a Digifest episode. Basically, Digifest is like a digital. It wasn't supposed to be digital, but because of coronavirus and everything, it's just kind of leaned into it. Um, yeah. Basically, it was supposed to be a disabilities, like arts and culture festival thing. And basically, it was supposed to commemorate this, uh, the disabled people's and chronic illness thing. It's a really big law that was in the UK. Yeah. It's basically, it, it's the law that underpins your right to, to, if you call up social services and say, Hi, I want you to have a um, for you to come around and like uh, and like assess me. That's the law that um, that gives you that right. Um, and so, yeah, we've done. We um, did an interview actually with a person called Dara Baldwin, who's like a national fame disability activist. And the, if you look at look at the Digifest version, there's a 20 minute version there, um, and that's awesome. And we have an hour and 20 minute interview with her on the podcast as well that will be coming out on the same day. So, but yeah, we generally yeah. talk about loads of like politically, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Culturally, blah, blah, blah kind of topics. We did universities, I think, last time. We managed to oh, get, wow. um, yeah, Piers Wilkinson, who was the last, um, uh, who was the last disability uh, disabled Students Union rep, National oh, wow. Union rep. So he's cool. <laughs> Do you guys release on a particular day or is it a bit? Fridays yeah. normally. It's going to be Saturdays this week because Digifest. Well, on this week is two weeks ago. So there we go. <laughs> so it's out there already. Yes. So enjoy it. <laughs> uh, awesome. Thank you so much, Pete. It's right. been really great. Um, yeah. Really, I always like it when we have someone who just kind of really vibes with our sort of our style. So um, really well, great I'm, to talk to you, man. I, I hope I've made your uh, your co-host who is not yeah. here suitably jealous. Yeah, yeah, he will be. This is especially <laughs> this like especially that topic is something he really wants to get his teeth into. So we may have to get you back at some point when you can do it. Of course, um, or get Shabazz in. Yeah, I'm sure he'd yeah. love to come at some point. Awesome. Great. All right. Thank you so much. See ya. Bye. Shitting Christ. What an episode. Huge thanks to Pete uh, for coming on. Really, always really nice. I mean, we have this with all our guests, but it's always really great when we kind of have someone on who's very much kind of in tune with, you know, what our kind of style of approaching subjects is so um and pete definitely much fits right into that um try and make it try and make it fun don't we we try and have some fun we try and have some fun so if you want to hear pete's uh podcast as he just mentioned crypt chat um you can hear that on fridays it comes out and yes as he mentioned he released a very special 
episode. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, we, this is one of those rare occasions where we actually recorded one more, more in advance uh, of the release date than than usual, which is borderline professional. Um, but yeah, and you can follow them on Twitter at Cryptchat UK, and you can get them on all your various in all your podcast uh, depositories. Uh, your local uh, podcast delivery man making his rounds in the morning will leave it on your doorstep. Uh, empty. Just remember to leave your empty podcasts uh, outside for him to take as well. Um, you can follow us at Challenging Pod on Twitter, and you can also email us Challenging Behaviors Podcast at gmail.com. Please do all the liking, the subscribing, the reviewing, the rating. The sharing, the retweeting, all of that stuff. Please. I mean, we are still technically a five-star review podcast. I mean, we've only got one five, one review. This is on Apple Podcasts. I always want to say iTunes, but it's not iTunes anymore. So, yeah, we technically are a five-star podcast. Because we have one five-star rating on there. I mean, come on now. Uh, brilliant all right uh as you were uh tom's not here to say something cool so um if i were to guess tom was about to probably say something like oh yeah uh peng i think i nailed it Bye!